0: okay so here we are finally i am with tim Hirth. i'm justin cochiola and we're chowdering grits how about that how does that sound tim
1: uh it sounds fantastic to me justin i gotta give it to you that was a uh, creative name from you
0: yeah so i tell you what we are we're here today to talk about acc football because uh, that's what guys with day jobs do um, <laughs> So this is something we have, uh, kind of kicked around in the past. And then we, uh, we rendezvoused at one of our, our buddies weddings and the idea popped up and we said we have to do it. So, uh, we've got chowderandgrits.com and that is more of a sports blog type deal. But what we really wanted to do was launch, launch this podcast and get started focusing on ACC football. And then, uh, you know, just kind of see, see how it goes.
1: Yeah, no, I mean, that sounds great to me. Um, And now, when you were talking to me before, you did mention are there going to be forums on chowder and grits at some point, or are they up yet?
0: Yes, that is in development stages. I should have that up by this weekend, or hopefully by the time you're listening to this podcast, assuming it's not going to be an immediate turnaround since it is the first one. But
1: yeah, yeah. uh, So, uh, good deal. Uh, For our first podcast, I guess it's kind of important to get into the background a little bit. So, did you want to touch on why the ACC interests you as someone from Chicago, or at least living in Chicago currently?
0: Yes, I live in Chicago. Definitely not from here. Uh, <laughs> right. So, grew up in Virginia. I uh, grew up a huge Virginia Tech fan, went to Virginia Tech, met you at Virginia Tech. We mm-hmm. have a lot of great Virginia Tech stories. Uh, that being said, we don't want this to be a Virginia Tech-only podcast, so we're going to try to take a... uh objective approach as much as possible, except for when talking about Virginia, of course. Of course. That's, that's a joke, guys. Just kidding. <laughs> kind of. Uh, but, but really. Uh, yeah. Anyways, but yeah, so that is, uh, that's kind of where we're at. So, I mean, obviously Virginia Tech is not a uh, traditional ACC school, but um, it has uh, pretty much dominated the conference, at least in the mm-hmm. first few years they were in it. They uh, kind of <laughs> hit, hit the reset button a little bit here recently, but.
1: You have to every now and then.
0: Yeah, and the ACC is just—it's really interesting these days. I, in in some ways, In in other ways, it's kind of boring because Clemson is just running the show. Um, it sure. seems, but I think there's a lot of uh, alternative storylines that that are good to talk about. Coastal divisions up for grabs, so you know we'll yeah. we'll just kind of see we'll see how it goes.
1: It's funny you mention that, uh, speaking to Virginia Tech not being a traditional ACC team. See, they are obviously in the Big East when you uh, – I imagine your fandom began. Um, you know, for me it was oh, the yeah. opposite. I was uh, – I grew up in eastern North Carolina, uh, Wilmington, Rocky Mount, those kind of places. Um, the ACC I knew was a nine-team conference, um, and you were terrified of, of playing Florida State every year. Uh, never really had a chance in that game. And, you know, ACC expansion for us was this huge – mythical thing. We were getting the powerhouses of, um, Miami, uh, you know, Virginia tech joining the conference. It was a really exciting time. And now we're sitting here, you know, some 14 odd years later in Miami has just really done nothing, um, of relevance in the ACC. And it's just, it's a strange place to be. Um, and it's cool, really cool to get to join a podcast with you uh, really cool to obviously uh, talk about it some and, and get the ball finally rolling on this as the ACC has kind of dominated my life from a sports perspective for all 30 years of my life. So it's cool to, you know, be able to talk about it, share some opinions and, um, you know, the ACC college football at large. Uh, obviously, I have some small biases to NC State and some large biases to Virginia Tech, but I hope that won't, you know, color what I'm going over too much. Um, I'm excited, man. Uh, where'd you want to start this day?
0: Well, you know, I'd say let's start at, uh, last weekend's game. So pretty yeah. much the last weekend of the regular season, except for some, uh, game cancellation makeups, which we'll get to a little bit later. But there weren't too many games this weekend that were, uh, of note. The one, let's just, let's just go back to the train since we've been talking about it. Virginia Tech <laughs> against Virginia, you know. <laughs> This is not a. uh, (laughs) This was not a traditional Virginia Tech Virginia matchup. I mean, you've got Virginia had a better record than than the Hokies for the first time, right? Probably in fourteen years. Yeah. Yeah. And so, I mean, Hokies fans are going into this game expecting to lose. I think both both of us had kind of come to expect and accept the fact that we're going to lose, and that if anything else happened past that, we were okay with it sure um sure but uh you know it was an interesting game it was uh virginia tech got up big uh in the first half and then the second half uh as virginia tech does they forget how to play defense or adjust to any kind of offensive scheme that the other team is running and so virginia opens up the second half with three consecutive 75-yard touchdown drives
1: that was terrible yeah. Um, it's it's a weird theme, right? This year, uh, you know, I, I can't recall. Uh, granted, you know, obviously I'm I'm 31 years old. In my time, I have a hard time, sh- you know, coming up with a team that seems to have the same struggle that we've had this year, where we seem to start out football games okay, uh, we go into halftime and the wheels absolutely come off. And I've I've tried to figure out why that is, and I cannot for the life of me figure that one out. That is a riddle. But as you said um it happened like clockwork exactly like we were expecting it to um before the game we went in telling ourselves okay you know expect to get beat um that's fine come to terms with it come to grips with it but you see that first half and then you know you're into it all of a sudden you expect to win the game because Virginia Tech is going into the half up big on UVA we've seen this many many times and you expect to come out on the other side a winner and it's really to me and I'm I'm not criticizing the performance obviously I will take the w in the end even though it was a bit lucky, um, in my opinion. Obviously, I think everybody shares that opinion. Um, but, man, that was really disheartening to come out that flat in the second half.
0: Yeah, you know, it, it was interesting if we jump past uh, everything that went down in the second half and kind of flash forward to the last four minutes. Virginia yeah. got ultra conservative on their play ultra. call. And, it's I cold. mean, yeah. that, that to me was – was the game but then it almost wasn't because then Virginia Tech sat on the ball at midfield <laughs> to run out the clock and it's right. like right. what what are they doing
1: i mean like you, that, that you to me it's it? like
0: yeah just yeah. looking at it from a new, neutral perspective like if i'm a miami fan watching that game i'm like what is going on
1: <laughs> you mentioning it is making my blood pressure rise just thinking about it i mean we flat out we got bailed out that was some of the um weakest football attitude I've ever seen in my life to curl up, um, needed a a field goal. Uh, the the kicker that we have has a long leg can bang him in from probably 55, not accurately, but he's got range.
0: (laughs) Yeah. He Um, didn't kick it that far.
1: It's just a shame that we got to to half. maybe, you know, I'm not going to say I can't remember exactly, but it was maybe just shy of the 40, um, we're one pass away, one good pass away from field goal range, and that's just crazy to think that we wouldn't take that chance at home. Um,
0: yeah, I mean, to me, watching the game, I was like, well, that's it. We, we lost. And then, yeah. obviously, you have the fumble in overtime, and the Hokies come out on top 15 straight years. So, yeah, you know, both Feels teams good. did enough to win the game, I felt like, and both teams yeah. certainly contributed to losing if they had come out losing Uh, so at the end of the day i think virginia probably should have won uh but they got a little too conservative so they did We'll just have to wait another year
1: yeah it's if you're a uva fan uh you are you're sick you're sick you're just appalled i mean this is right this is the year um this this was if you were gonna get us this was the year and to to have it in your grasp and to completely say you know what we're not even gonna attempt to try to win this game it blew my mind live going back and looking at it again. I I still cannot believe what Bronco Mendenhall chose to do. And that's fine. I'll take it. We got the win. I'm so excited about it. I changed my Facebook profile to Ricky Walker drinking out of the Commonwealth Cup. I never do that. Um but I'm so like thrilled.
0: Moment. Yeah.
1: I'm I'm so thrilled. But at the same time you gotta be sick on the other side of that. That's insane.
0: Yeah. So some of the other games that were going on um, that were of note, there's really only two because there's only two sure. teams that are playing for the conference title. You had Pittsburgh against Miami, and they got they got whooped 24-3. I don't know really how much stake to put into that game. Mm-hmm. Um, there wasn't a lot on the line for Pitt other than getting guys hurt. Uh, I mean, they did use their workhorse backs. Uh, they did have their starter in for most of the game. so. Uh, Take it for what it is. I'm not going to read into that situation too much. Clemson kind of let South Carolina hang around for a little bit, but then just started doing Clemson things and uh, pulled away.
1: Boy, yeah, that's tough for the Gamecocks, man. I know that's one of the fiercest rivalries in all of college football, maybe filled with the most hate of any rivalry. And uh, the Gamecocks are just getting completely outpaced in recruiting momentum. I mean, they're just getting left in the dust right now to two programs Um, you know, the past 10 years, you take away the last three, um, maybe 2000 to 2015 were, were somewhat close. Um, to have Clemson just lapping away from them right now, has got to be tough for those guys.
0: Well, yeah. I mean, what was that five in a row for Clemson over South Carolina before Mm -hmm. that? I think it was five in a row, South Carolina over Clemson. Right. So, uh, it's definitely kind of a weird turn and I, I don't see it really kind of going in South Carolina's favor anytime soon. No. No God power yeah.
1: and you know they they have it tough down there, as is right if if you got if you can't lock down your state and, and that's where I feel for them. South Carolina produces great high school football talent, but not a large quantity of it because it is a smaller state population wise um they're fighting Clemson tooth and nail for those recruits now, granted, Clemson is a brand all over the southeast now and and all over the nation, pretty much um But not only do they have those guys they have to compete with in state, but every person in the SEC uh, has a flagship school in just about every bordering state down there. So it's tough. And it's going to be tough to turn around.
0: Yeah. I don't know if Muschamp's the guy, but um, we'll see. We'll see. So speaking of uh, coaches, there's been a lot of coaching movements in, uh, in the ACC, like an exorbitant amount. Um, (laughs) Yeah. So far. So I think the story of the ACC, not for me, I'll get to that in a second, but uh, nationally has been Mac Brown to UNC. Absolutely. Um, So, you know, I kind of let this one, this one soak a little bit. I uh, initially didn't love the hire. I still don't, but I can kind of see where UNC was going with it. I mean, under Larry Fedora, they didn't recruit poorly. No. But they did underperform on the football field after 2015. Because 2015, yeah. they have that great year, lose one game. Mm-hmm. You know, you're thinking great things coming for 2016. You got Mitch Trubisky, who ends up being the, what, second pick in the draft. You've got that's right. just heaps of talent on the defensive side in the ball, and they only go eight and five. Right. And that's then, incredible. yeah. And then the last two years, I mean just the utter disaster. I think they won a, a total of five games over the last yeah. two seasons. So
1: yeah, you know, uh, the wheels kind of fell off there with Fedora and, you know, it it wasn't pretty from a football program standpoint. His recruiting had fallen off hard and, you know, that's surprising to me given the fact that UNC basically recruits itself. Um it, the the issue that they're fighting there is the past two years, UNC already didn't have good fan support, even when they were good. Um, filling out Keenan Stadium is hard. Uh, you know, it, a it's pretty Right. Basketball. Exactly. And that's the mantra they have to fight. Um, the only way to do that really for, for fans that don't pack the house, even for good teams is to at least stay relevant. They haven't. Now they have to fight to get fans back in those seats and to get some kind of momentum around the football program. I echo what you thought. I don't know that Mac does that. I think for the big boosters and some of the older people, he might get them fired up. But when I see UNC, I see a team that has everything it needs to be good. Um, You know, Rob Stone, who's a soccer analyst, uh, you know, commentator by day, posted a, a tweet, I think three or four days ago, talking about UNC being a sleeping giant. And I don't think they're a sleeping giant. I think they have far too much working against them to be that. But they certainly aren't where Larry Fedora got them. And you really could have revved up that program with like a young coach to, to really bring something dynamic as far as an offense goes and, and to get people back in those seats and back excited and, and to have a trajectory where you say, okay, I know where we're going to be for the next, you know, five or six years. I, I, I get that the football, the, the coach as a CEO of the football program is kind of like in vogue right now. Um, I just don't see it working with Mac Brown. Uh, you know, and especially well, today, I don't know if you saw, but it looks like they're gonna hire Greg Robinson as their defensive coordinator.
0: Oh, uh, well, I mean, yeah, I'll I'll get to that one in a second. But okay. with so with Mac Brown, like to me, he comes in and he's a stabilizing voice in the program. Sure. He should easily be able to turn them around next year yeah. and get them to eight or nine wins. There is mm-hmm. no reason this team with this much talent shouldn't have eight or nine wins. Agree. I mean his entire time at Texas, like I, I had to go back and look at the last few years he was at Texas because I'm sure you recall, like they wanted him out. Like right. the alumni base was just so tired yeah. of Mac Brown, but I mean, he was still winning eight or nine games a year. He well,
1: was, he was. But
0: he wasn't was consistently like, for a Texas national for the, title.
1: Were uh, those recruiting classes and right. He had Vince Young. Right. Great. I mean, that's a, that's a generational type player that wins you that national title, Uh, you know, and the beef with the Texas fans and fan base, I kind of understand because he was pulling in top five recruiting classes and was topping out around eight or nine wins. I'd have to go back and look at the records to, to really remember. I get that. And I think it's going to be much easier here, right? The the pressure to succeed at UNC is almost nil, quite honestly, compared to a program like Texas. Um, That's,
0: that's, that's kind of to my point. So, yeah, The alumni bases at these two schools, when we're talking football, he, he's basically going to a school now that has an alumni base like Texas does, but for basketball. Okay, right. So whatever he does on the football side that's better than winning three games, if you're in that eight to nine game, you're maybe competing for the Coastal Division title, that's all golden. Right. I think... They're trying to set this up for a possible coach coaching waiting situation. So, mm-hmm. before the Greg Robinson hire, you know we had Gene Chiswick on the radar who <laughs> didn't make sense to me because I mean, right? That was the last place he coached, anyways. Yeah. And he quit. And then.
1: And um, and, and he wasn't he wasn't very good.
0: No, he's terrible. <laughs> he's he's been terrible ever since the the scam Newton. Right. Not to, I know you're a Panthers fan, but the whole Sam <laughs> Newton situation down at Auburn. But right. so you had him and he had Cliff Kingsbury on the radar. Right. So I could have seen, okay, yeah, Cliff Kingsbury coming in, offensive coordinator, maybe needs a few more years under a guy like Mac Brown, know, know what it's like to run a program. Well, guess what? Yeah. He just went to USC today.
1: Right. Oh, so I didn't know that.
0: Yeah. So he's gone. You scooped me. Which I think is a great, a great location for him. But then you go out and get Greg Robinson. (laughs) He's okay. I'm not age shaming here, but you you keep bringing in these older guys. How are you going to relate to a younger audience?
1: (laughs) I don't know. It's like a country club over there right now, man.
0: Uh, Yeah, but my my issue with Greg, it's not about his age. It's about his track record. Right. It's not good. It's pretty bad. it's it's well below average. So
1: that I mean, to me he, was concerning. He single handedly killed Syracuse. The Syracuse football program was killed by Greg Robinson. Um, yeah. Not to he mention, had, I don't know if you remember that two. It was two or three years at Michigan as Rich Rodriguez's defensive coordinator.
0: Yeah, he finished near the bottom in uh, yep. defense on the Big Ten.
1: He was a laughing stock. Um, yeah. So that that I like you thought okay. You're going to go Mac Brown. You're going to hire some pretty dynamic, really awesome, you know, coordinators to go out there try to mix things up a little bit. Maybe be on the younger side like you. Because look, that's waiting for a, like you said, a coaching waiting situation. Had they nailed somebody like like Kingsbury down in Carolina, I would have. I'm not going to say I would have been terrified, but I would have been very concerned. That would have worked really well.
0: I'll I'll end the Greg Robinson thing here, and we'll move on. Okay. he took over a program at Syracuse. That had one losing season in fourteen years before him. Ugh. He comes in there. He goes five and thirty-seven as head coach with a two and twenty-five record in the Big East. <laughs> that is even that is worse than I
1: remember somehow.
0: <laughs> is isn't it? That's horrible. Uh, exactly. So well, let's we'll move, move on. Maroon and State. Babers
1: to come and, and it, I mean they seem to be you know moving in the right direction again. It's you know it's been kind of weird having Syracuse as bad as they've been. Um, obviously this year and last year, you can kind of throw those out last year with the win over Clemson. And this year, um, you know, they've obviously had a great season. Dino Babers, in my opinion, should have won coach of the year. We'll get to that later. Um, but man, it, Greg Robinson was terrible and i really, he is the last type of hire I would have wanted if I was Carolina for that, for that defense or for, for any of the two major coordinator spots on that team.
0: Yeah. That to me, if I'm a North Carolina fan, I I'm scratching my head. Yeah. That just, and I'm, I'm, I'm upset after yeah. that hire. Absolutely. Um. So our friends down South in Atlanta, this, this was the greatest news of the week for me.
1: Oh my gosh. I, I am still on a high.
0: <laughs> the triple option <laughs> is now no more. I, mean, I tell I you what, it's great. I am so happy.
1: Because I am too, and there are defensive linemen's knees that are rejoicing right now all over the southeast. And you know, yeah. Georgia fans. Let me tell you how happy they are.
0: Oh, I, I mean, there is, dude. If I'm a Georgia Tech fan, I'm ecstatic. <laughs> yeah, can you imagine? Happy, can you imagine having to watch that offense? No. For. No. Eleven years. No. Because no. I, I mean, listen. Nothing against Paul Johnson. He did a great job at Georgia Tech. Sure. I don't know how big of a job Georgia Tech is. I mean, it's it's not in a bad market, but it's in a transient market. Georgia runs that state. They're definitely second fiddle. Sure, You're never going to win the state in recruiting. I no. think that's kind of a given. You're right in the heart of SEC country. You're right in between Auburn and Georgia. I mean... Sure. You're, you're kind of screwed from a recruiting standpoint. A triple option gimmick offense kind of worked out for them for a little bit. And, I mean, they, they went to a bowl in nine out of 11 of his seasons. They got an orange bowl. They won an ACC championship. They won a few Coastal Division titles. I mean, they were successful under Paul Johnson, but no they more were triple option.
1: They were. Um, and, you know, the thing is, too, I mean, a lot of Georgia Tech fans will tell you, I was referencing a sleeping giant before talking about UNC and what Rob Stone, uh, I, I think, should not have labeled them. I think you could label Georgia Tech a sleeping giant because I I think they won the national title in 1990. Um And they can recruit. They, they have a really fertile recruiting bed down there. Their problem is going to be competing with the likes of the SEC, and they couldn't do that with the triple option. Big-time recruits in high school don't want to come out of high school to run a high school offense. Um That's not how it works. You look at the service academies and things like that. I am all for the triple option, the flex bone, anything you want to throw in those places where you know you're going to be overmatched or you have limitations like Army has with, you know, they can't obviously recruit these 340-pound offensive linemen and hope they will stay as a cadet there. But holy cow. I mean, you want to talk about a guy that was looking good when he got hired. I remember he made a couple of ACC championship games, I believe, off the jump. Um, and look, it looked like he was going to take them places. And, you know, that was a scary thought, but we soon realized that there was a pretty big ceiling when it came to Paul Johnson and what you can do with that kind of gimmick offense.
0: Yeah. I I mean, I think, I think we saw as far as it can go in a power five setting. That's not the pack 12. Okay. Because I mean, Hey, Hey, the ACC hasn't been a power conference. Over the last two years, but no, you know
1: we're not the pack. That
0: belt. that team can beat any team on any given day because of sure. the gimmick that it is. Sure. Um, but yeah, I mean, like you said, it it's perfect for those smaller schools that might not be able to get the athletes. I think this is probably a setback for the program though because of the way they've had to recruit on offense. Yeah. Maybe not, but. They're no, definitely I mean, going to need to find find a quarterback.
1: You're spot on. There's not a pocket passer on that roster right now. Um, there's nobody even I, what I would call a pro style passer either. Um, so the issue there is going to be okay. You got to change. Your, and more than likely, you're going to have to change your complete blocking scheme from an offensive line standpoint, which will require um, potentially either more agile, I would assume less agile people. You got to be pretty agile to block in uh, Paul Johnson's offense, but um, you're going to have to have a lot of changes, especially on that offensive side. I think you're probably set back one to two years at least, Um, depending on the style they go with. Now, if they bring in somebody who runs a similar blocking scheme, maybe they can get away with, you know, and shave a year off that and maybe get a junior college transfer and a quarterback to do something. Uh, But like you said, I think you're behind the eight ball. Um, One of the biggest wins for Georgia Tech, though, occurred last year, and that was when they dropped Russell as their uniform supplier. So big ups to them. Adidas is not a huge upgrade, but it is a huge upgrade considering where they were with Russell. Um, getting Paul Johnson out, getting rid of Russell. I'm telling you, man, they're doing the right things lately.
0: Look at you with the little fashion statement.
1: Hey, look, I, I'm just saying, man, you can't go out there in Russell uniforms. If you're running the triple option offense, you better have Nike or Adidas uniforms, man. Cause yeah. you're going full high school with the Russell uniforms and the triple option offense.
0: Right. You gotta, you gotta at least look the part. Exactly. Um, but yeah, as far as coaching there, you know, I haven't looked too much into candidates i i kind of think this is going to be uh an up-and-coming guy or maybe a younger coordinator that hasn't gotten a shot mm-hmm. i wouldn't be shocked to see a shane beamer name pop up Ooh, here
1: that's a good shout
0: just throwing it just throwing it out there just the curveball yeah. i mean the guy has been around um a lot of coaching staffs but you yeah. know I, I you don't hear his name around head coaching jobs too often
1: no. And and you know I've heard Tony Elliott, who is the uh Clemson offensive coordinator. Uh Tony would be a fantastic fit down there. Um he's young. Yeah. He's obviously a great coordinator. He so he obviously knows know. the area and the recruiting landscape. Um he graduated I just don't know from if it's big enough for him. Yeah, it it is. It is. It, you think it, so? It's, maybe. I it's tough to say, but I think he'd be a good fit, man, especially given his age. Offense he runs he knows the recruiting ground get this this was a nugget this was a deep cut that I pulled out here okay he graduated with a degree in industrial engineering from Clemson in 2002 if that's not a guy who should be coaching Georgia Tech I don't know who is
0: there you go that's that's the nugget of the day brought to you by <laughs> brought to you by Tim
1: I'll get slide that in
0: um yeah so. I you know, I, I think coastal division jobs are attractive right now because that division is up for grabs until yeah. Virginia Tech and Miami wake up because I mean Miami's another school that had a terrible year oh based God. off of where they were projected to finish. But if you look at Louisville, they uh to me they're about as close to rock bottom as you could be. Because oh, one, you had a coach that nobody liked in Bobby Petrino. How <laughs> How, if you're a parent, you could feel good about sending your kid to Louisville with Bobby Petrino as the head no. coach after no. everything that's gone on with them. I don't know. And I think that's probably part of why they didn't recruit so well. Um,
1: yeah.
0: And they're in the Atlantic Division, which is Clemson's division in the ACC right now. So right. I'm sure you heard Jeff Brom turn down the job. I did. I wasn't surprised because other than facilities right now, that's all that Louisville has going for it over Purdue. I think Braum is on the turnaround train at Purdue. They started mm-hmm. off slow this year, but he kind of he got it got it rolling there after an 0-3 start. But yeah, to me, I think they're going to struggle to uh, to fill this head coaching job with a high profile candidate.
1: Okay, yeah, I, and I certainly agree with you. Um, I was honestly I was surprised, given where I feel like Louisville is, and maybe I have a skewed understanding of. Where that program is right now, because I truly think they are not a very appealing job. Um, you know, for a couple reasons. Louisville's not really a college town. There's a different environment there when it comes to sports. They're also one of those programs we talked about. Basketball schools are harder to deal with um, when you're not winning. the The fan support can be a little tough at times there on the football side of things. And they really caught lightning in a bottle with Lamar Jackson. I think that masked a lot of deficiencies on that team. Because they basically had a guy you could give the ball to for, you know, the past three years. Um, you know, go out there so we don't need much of a game plan to give the ball to Lamar. The guy was a, a human highlight reel. Um, and I think you saw that in this season manifest itself when you you know, you heard the names coming in, you heard Jawan pass, you, you kind of thought maybe that offense would be sparked again and it there's just no spark there. Um, as you mentioned, Betrino, wholly unlikable. Um Yeah, it's, it's hard to, like you said, as a parent, sending somebody who is the human embodiment of slime. Um, why you would send your, your, your son there to go play football is, is tough to understand. Um, but now we have a situation where they went after Brahm hard publicly. Um, Brahm declined publicly and that's always hard to bounce back from. Um, you get one public denial and, and then you sort of have, you know, kind of like a black mark on your record. I don't know where you go from here. If you are Louisville, and I'm speaking to every program that has an opening in the Southeast who is larger than Appalachian State, hire Scott Satterfield, please. That guy is incredible. Um what he's done at Appalachian State has been awesome. He runs a balanced offense, um, you know, that really gets after it and runs the football. I am a huge Scott Satterfield fan, and I think if Louisville's smart, they go ahead and shoot for somebody like Scott Satterfield that they can wrap up and just be done with this search. Because it's got you know, it's got one of those feelings. This might be a search where we have another coach they flirt with who told, tells them no. And then it's downhill from there. Um, kind of, kind so, of not, not too dissimilar from Tennessee.
0: If I'm Satterfield, I'm being very picky. I'm yeah. not going to Louisville. And I'm with you on that. You know, it, I think him at Georgia Tech makes a lot of sense. Um, sure. but I also think he's going to sit there and wait for the right job. I don't think he's in a absolute rush to leave App State because, I mean, hey, they they broke the top 25 at one point this year. They yeah, took
1: great Penn State team.
0: to the brink um, mm-hmm. Should the first won. week of the season. So. Should have won. Uh, one name that's off the board, I just wanted to get this in. Uh, our buddy Scott Leffler is now the yeah. head coach at oh. Bowling Green.
1: No. <laughs> Scott Leffler was my Vietnam. I just want to go ahead and get that out there. The name alone <laughs> makes me shake.
0: Has there ever uh, been
1: a coach that trips? Okay, so this is Scott Leffler to me. Scott Leffler is a guy that falls down the stairs in the most violent way, hits the bottom, and keeps walking like nothing ever happened. I don't know how (laughs) he is now a head coach. Yeah, It it blows my mind how someone who is universally thought of as a bad coach by every fan base he's ever coached with keeps – he keeps getting promotions.
0: Yeah, well, or at least Bowling Green moves. Bowling Green is in for a treat. Uh, so I, oh, I'm my. not sure if they've ever seen a Scott Leffler offense or known what they were watching if they were watching one. But no, uh, it's not not something to behold. So I just wanted to. I just got to vent my there.
1: frustrations with Boston College, and I'm I'm speaking directly to not Boston College Bowling Green. I'm speaking directly to Bowling Green in this case. What are you doing? You are bowling green. The best part about being bowling green is that you can take the craziest risks. Go hire a head, a high school coach somewhere that runs a wacky offense. Go, go hire a a killer used car salesman who can recruit his tail off. What, what are you doing? That is, I'm just upset. If you're going to hire somebody like Scott Loeffler, it shouldn't be Scott Loeffler. There are many other choices for mediocre offensive coordinators in this nation. That would have been a much better choice for you as a head coach. It's too safe.
0: So transition into uh, ACC yearly awards. I don't know how we want to phrase that, but uh if we jump <laughs> into coach, <laughs> if we jump into coach of the year, uh Dabo sure. Sweeney edged out Dino Babers and, you know, I'm not going to say that Davo doesn't deserve to be coach of the year. I mean, yeah. he's obviously running a uh, tight ship down there, undefeated season. To me, he doesn't win this year if he doesn't have yeah. the Kelly Bryant-Trevor Lawrence situation. Fair point. Um, where he had to basically make a fairly tough decision for his program going forward because he felt like Lawrence was the guy who gave them the best shot to win maybe later in the season. It didn't look like that early on. Because, I mean, if you you remember the Texas A&M game, Kelly Bryan is the reason they won that game.
1: Oh, absolutely.
0: Or else, I'm not sure Clemson's a lock for the playoffs because they, they had a fairly weak schedule until Syracuse really emerged and Boston College emerged. So they'd probably still be in the combo with the ACC championship win, obviously. But yeah. I that, w- that was an interesting dynamic that we haven't seen at Clemson in a while.
1: Yeah. And, you know, not only at Clemson, I'm try- I'm having a hard time thinking of another comparable situation where you had a guy as established as Kelly was and as good as Kelly was. Let's, let's not mince words here. Kelly Bryant was a great quarterback in the ACC. Um, having a guy uh, come off in Lawrence that is just outstanding, that definitely – It shows a coach who's not afraid to make a decision to to positively impact his team because at the time I was very critical of it. Um, I didn't think it was going to work. It has. uh, I get that for reasoning behind it. You know, If you want to throw that out there as a reason why you think he's the best coach in the ACC, I'm with you 110%. I would have liked to see Dino Babers get the nod. Um, I think what Dino has done in his body of work, even if you look past this year, um, with Syracuse has been outstanding. I, I think he looks like, at least from the outside, looking in, a great guy, a fun guy to play for. Um, to me, you have Clemson who's had four straight years, or at least it feels like it of uh top five recruiting classes, the weakest Atlantic division you've had. I mean, I couldn't even tell you a year where the Atlantic division has been as weak as it has been. Um, and it's kind of unfair. That's not, uh, that's not Debo's fault. Um, but I just like to see, uh, you know, Dino kind of giving a little, hey, man, you did great there at the end of the season. I'm not going to lose sleep over it either way. I just wanted to give a shout out where shout outs you.
0: Complete sense. My thing with him, he's nine and three this year. Mm-hmm. He went four and eight in his first two seasons there, but had some big wins. I mean, yeah. a win over Clemson. This year, he takes Clemson to the brink yep. at Clemson. Yeah. Even though Chase Bryce was the guy who, uh, played probably two and a half quarters of that game after mm-hmm. a Trevor Lawrence injury. That was the game right after Kelly Bryant left. So right. there was some uh, turmoil going on for uh, for the Tigers there. But if a guy like Dino's not going to win it this year, I just don't know when he does. You know, it like, I know recruiting is part of the game. I know going undefeated is hard to do. But taking a program that has been in the gutter mm-hmm. for the last 15 years and then making him a winner, you know, they competed this year for an Atlantic title. They had kind of a, a stinker there against Notre Dame at the end, which might have kind of led, in, led into it a little bit. Sure.
1: But yeah, yeah, I don't
0: know. I I mean, I can't argue against Dabo, but so right. much. But to me, my vote would have gone to, to Dino this year.
1: My man. Yeah, that's what I like to hear. I mean, all those reasons it, echo it completely. And, you know, it's probably because I'm a sucker for an underdog, even when that other underdog is Syracuse. Um, but, yeah, it just would have been cool to see. Would have been cool to see.
0: So let's uh, let's breeze through some of the other awards that have been handed out so far. Okay. Uh, not too many shockers here. We've got ACC Offensive Rookie of the Year. You want to take a guess?
1: Uh, I would say that's probably Trevor Lawrence.
0: Uh, that would be correct. Okay. Uh, had 2,488 yards this year, 22 passing touchdowns. That's yeah. tied for the ACC lead. For ACC defensive rookie of the year. This is the lone award that didn't go to a Clemson Tiger that's been handed out so far. So that goes to Andre Cisco.
1: Congratulations Andre Cisco. Tell him what he's won, Justin.
0: Yeah. He's ACC defensive player of the year. Defensive rookie player of the year, excuse me.
1: That's awesome. Uh, and Andre Cisco's actually a guy, you know, it's not like I I think he's a safety. Um It's not really a typical position that jumps out at you, but he's had a great year. Uh, Cisco is a guy who I actually knew the name of before the award was announced, which I wasn't expecting to this year.
0: Seven interceptions tied for the national and ACC lead. That's
1: awesome. Coming from a freshman too, big props to him.
0: And then uh, ACC player of the year is Travis Etienne, the sophomore Clemson running back. Golly. um so they are loaded and what I thought was interesting in this and based off of who won ACC defensive player of the year which mm-hmm. is Colin Farrell right the uh Richmond native which always kind oh, of uh that always stings. Hurts yeah. Virginia Tech guys when guys like that leave the state but sure does uh leaves the ACC with um ten and a half sacks 15 and a half tackles for loss but what's What's interesting about it is the guy who finished second in the ACC Player of the Year voting was Christian Wilkins, his teammate on the defensive line, defensive tackle. So you've got Christian Wilkins finishing second in ACC Player of the Year award with 14 votes, with Cleland Farrell receiving two, but then Farrell received 28 (laughs) votes for Defensive Player of the Year compared to 20 for Wilkins. So. That to me just didn't add up. I, I wonder what the voters were doing there, but either way, <laughs> both of those guys are probably first round picks in the yeah. NFL draft.
1: What a defensive line. I mean, they're, they're honestly incredible and Clean Farrell is going to be amazing in the NFL. Um, you know, he's your prototype to prototypical edge rusher. He's, he's fantastic. Um, Christian Wilkins, again, just a, a savage in the middle of that line. Uh, they, they are just so good on that line. And, on both sides of the ball, really. I mean, if you consider, I think Etienne had an eight yard per carry average. That's nuts. As explosive as he is, that is incredible to me that you can average eight yards a carry. Um, I don't know what that says about the rest of the ACC and the defenses and their ability to stop the run, but that's insane to me.
0: Yeah. And maybe it has to do with going up against the best defensive line in college football. Sure. Every, sure. every day in practice. I don't, I don't know.
1: But- iron sharpens iron, man. You. Yeah,
0: I mean, Clemson is just loaded everywhere you look. Yeah. Um, so we will get to the Clemson pit preview sure. in a second. Honestly, I don't have a lot to say about that game. Um, <laughs> but I want to uh, preview that with some college football playoff talk. Sure. And so I specifically, th- there's been an argument on Twitter Led by one person in particular, who I think is kind of a blowhard these days. <laughs> Surprise! Ever since he's uh, ever since he's been fired by ESPN, uh, no, Danny, Danny Cannell.
1: Cannell. Yeah, I, I yes. knew he, where you were going with that.
0: I knew where I was going. Yeah, he just he's taking these stances on Twitter mm-hmm. um, that just they're egregious to me. So basically, his argument was this week that if Georgia, the number four team in the country, beats Alabama by even a field goal. Alabama doesn't belong in the college football playoff. (laughs) It's a good one. Now, I know there's a lot of hate towards Alabama at this point, disdain, tired of seeing them around. As a college football fan, or let's put yourself on the playoff committee, whose job is to pick the four best teams in the country. I don't care if Alabama loses by two touchdowns. They're in the top four.
1: Oh, no question.
0: Okay. No question. So there's there's no way they're not getting into the playoff. I just I want to make that clear. I, I got into a little scuffle with a uh, guy on Twitter talking about this where he was saying, oh, the S- SEC network said that uh, they only have a, a 45% chance if they lose. I don't care what they say. <laughs> <laughs> like, listen, I don't care. Right. Because you know what? What they're getting out from a feed standpoint is a number from what? A computer-generated a computer. system. Right. That's why we don't have the BCS anymore. Right. Because we got tired of computers telling us who's in and who's out. Right. We've got a group of people sitting in a room that understand college football that know what they're talking about. And the eye test tells you Alabama, top four in the country. Don't care what happens this weekend. They're playing for seeding.
1: Oh no! And I'm,
0: it's true. I'm off my soapbox.
1: It's true. And look, I'm going to sit here right now and tell you: you give me four touchdowns against Georgia, and they better be in those playoffs. Um Georgia's a good team, and there's no sense in in knocking Georgia or Alabama because they're going to lose to a team like Georgia, especially if you're going to have um, you know throw Ohio State in the mix, given who they've lost to. Um, and not really, you know, bat an eye at it. If you're going to throw what Mich, I've heard somebody even today, I think it was Greeny on ESPN mentioning that maybe Michigan could sneak in. Michigan as bad it as Mike they got Greenberg, trounced Mike. by Ohio State.
0: So this is, this is Mike Greenberg right now. He's trying to get ratings up for get up. And, uh, he's just trying to say the most outrageous thing possible to have people to tune in because anybody with eyes should be able to know that Michigan ain't getting in. No. I mean, they just got whooped by no. Ohio State. No. So, it, to me, it it provides an interesting question. So, you've got Oklahoma and Ohio State and Georgia basically fighting for that fourth spot, Agreed. assuming Clemson wins. Now, if Clemson were to lose, which I just... I can't, I can't see, see a path I can't see to it. them losing the game. They're yeah. a 26-and-a-half-point favorite, okay? Right.
1: that's In a conference right. championship game, that's absurd.
0: Yeah. They're going to win. Yeah. Maybe it's close in the first half, but they're going to win the game. The only, well, The only way I see it getting interesting is if Georgia loses, Oklahoma loses, and Ohio State loses. Right. Now, for all three of those things to happen, very unlikely. Now, I think everybody expects Georgia to lose, so that puts them with two losses. Then you've got an Oklahoma team who is able to avenge a loss to Texas from earlier in the year. Their only loss, although on paper and really on television, they don't look like, to me, a top-four team in the country.
1: No, and, and side note before you continue, just really quick, how cool is it that we get a Red River rivalry redo in a conference championship game?
0: I mean, that's 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 what dreams are made of. Conference. Yeah, that's why they built the divisions that way. Right. I love it. That's, that's what you want. Yep. That's why Miami's in the coastal and Florida states in the Atlantic, but we've never <laughs> seen it.
1: <laughs> that's so funny that you mentioned that. I'm sure that was their idea when they were building that. Boy, it was that a swing and a miss.
0: Oh, yeah. I mean, when Miami and Virginia Tech came into the conference, Miami was the grits and we were the butter. That oh, goes no question. The grits. Let's, let's be honest. Yeah. But getting back to the conversation. To me, if Oklahoma wins and Georgia loses, Oklahoma's got to be the four seed.
1: Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Because
0: I look at Ohio State, and if I'm looking at them just from football and not everything that went on off the field, which I think will play in to the selection committee's process. Of course. In some way or another. They got absolutely destroyed by Purdue. Mm Mm-hmm. And they just went to overtime with Maryland the week before Michigan. Yeah. So, yeah, okay. You beat, you beat Michigan up pretty good. But at the same time, I don't care if Oklahoma wins by three, which they probably will because every game they play in is close because their defense is so bad.
1: Mm -hmm.
0: But that offense is fun to watch. I think it's got to be Oklahoma. Now, if Oklahoma loses and Ohio State wins with Georgia losing, then it's Ohio State. I think. I think it's fairly easy. I don't think it's going to be a lot of drama around the selection process this year. No,
1: no. Like you said, I think it's a lot of people trying to drum up drama around it. Um, given the matchups we have, I'm not in. And, and the evidence that we've seen to this point, I don't think it's going to be too terribly difficult of a call. Um, I know some people were mentioning UCF in some scenario could possibly sneak in. That won't happen. Um, I really feel terrible for Milton uh, and what happened to him and his injury. Um, I'm not Not even sure they're they're going to beat Memphis. To be honest with you,
0: well, they only beat him by one with Milton. Right now, it's kind of coming off an emotional game where that happens. Mm -hmm. They've got what is it, 23, 24 game win streak on the line right now. So
1: there's a lot on the line. But Milton (laughs) was the heartbeat of that team this year, and uh, Memphis also. Shout out to Memphis; they're a pretty good football team this year. Um, You know, and they have been recently. Uh, but it, it, that's the thing. It, given the evidence that we have, like you, I think this is going to shake out into something that's pretty clear cut at the end of the day. Um, I, you know, I think they're on the prowl for ratings at the moment now with all this, uh, you know, what is just purely crazy talk? Uh,
0: yeah. I mean, it's just, crazy. it's so annoying. Yeah. Like I, I, I try not to like reply to these national guys because, <laughs> you know, nothing's going to happen. They're not going to listen to you other than like follow, shame you. You only have little Unless- followers, bro.
1: Unless they're Tim Brando. Tim Brando will lose his mind on you. Just not that I know
0: from experience,
1: wink, wink. But uh, (laughs) yeah, lose his mind.
0: Yeah, of course not. (laughs) Um, So let's let's preview the Pitt Clemson game and kind of wrap up. Um, So Clemson, as I said, I believe the line is 26 and a half. So that that to me is the most interesting part about the game. Yeah. I mean, yeah it's got the running backs they've got Darren hall they've got Quadri uh oldison I mean those guys back. can definitely carry the load but I mean against that defensive line they're going to force them to throw the football and I just don't think I I mean I I think this game could be like 56 to 10. yeah and, and I wouldn't bat an eye
1: it, it will be I, th- th- I, that's what I mean when I when you say you don't see a road for Clemson I can't or sorry, you can't see a road for Pitt against Clemson. I 100% echo that. I think everybody does. The line obviously does. Vegas is not very high on the Pitt Panthers in this one. Um, but really, that's the issue. Is You have a team like Pitt who's going to want to pound the rock, and they just aren't going to be able to against Clemson's front. Um, Allison is a fantastic running back, but again, I just can't see him having success, which is going to be a huge problem for a team that can be um, – a bit heavy towards one side when it comes to their offensive tendencies. So um, I hope it's a game. I'll certainly be watching. I, I expect that one to be out of hand by halftime. Um, it, that appears to be where we're headed.
0: Yeah, and I mean, you know, Clemson has had a couple of slip-ups over the last couple of years, and in sure. 2016, Pitt was the game that they slipped up against. But there's a difference. There's a difference in playing in the middle of the season or towards the latter part of the season and playing in a playoff type environment. No question. Pitt, this is all new to them. They're going to kind of take this in. They're probably going to enjoy the trip a little bit. Clemson, I mean, it's all business. It's it's national championship or bust right now for Clemson. It where is. for Pitt, it's, it's fun to be there. Mm-hmm. I mean, obviously they want to win, but they're not expected to. Um, I'm sure they're not thinking that way inside that locker room, obviously, but yeah, I expect Clemson to win big. And also I just can't imagine Pat Narduzzi actually winning a (laughs) title.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I mean that, that you talk about things that may make me physically ill. That might be one of them. Um, you know, I'm sure the only, the only pit highlights we're going to get is Pat Narduzzi looking aghast at anybody calling pass interference on his secondary, which will happen multiple times. Um, and
0: possibly wanting to like choke an official.
1: Right. I mean, that's what, as a pit fan, I think that's what you're looking forward to. Honestly. <laughs> uh, that's where, you know, that's where you're going to get your rocks off this game. That's, that's where you're going to find your fun. Cause I, I don't think it's going to be on the football field. Props to them. They capitalized, um, for, for that program. I think that's great. Uh, you know, I, I certainly wasn't expecting that. Um, coming in. I don't think many people were. So uh, good on them for you know capitalizing on some down years from Virginia Tech and Miami and teams that were uh, thought to be higher up in that race that uh, that eventually petered out. So good for them. Unfortunately, they got the grand prize of what looks to be a trouncing on the national stage. And it's, it's hard to say that it would be different for anyone in the ACC right now. So it's just unfortunate for them that the year they make it to the championship, it has to be against a Clemson team that is just I mean they've, they've transcended, right? They're they're at that Alabama net level right now from a talent perspective, from a consistency perspective. There's no more Clemsoning. They know how to win these games. And and like you said, they are all business, man.
0: So two things. I've got 56-10. What's your what's your score prediction?
1: Fifty six ten. 56-10 sadly sounds about right. Um I'm gonna say let's do 35-7.
0: Okay. Okay. Um Last question. Virginia Tech, are they making a ball?
1: Man, you see, you, you hurt me there. Um, my heart says yes. My brain, given what I've seen to this point of the season, I got a good look at Marshall when NC State played them. They are a team that's going to give us problems defensively. Um, now, you could Marshall's say that about... Team. They're a good team. You could say that about any team this year. I think any team with a pulse would have given Virginia Tech troubles this year um, from a defensive standpoint. I just – I have a, a terrible feeling in my stomach that we are we are going to lose our bowl streak this year um, to the Thundering Herd.
0: I think they find a way to win. Um now that being said, if they lose, I definitely will not be surprised. Um, but I think they, uh, I think they somehow find a way to play their first complete game of the season, maybe, besides the Florida State game, and uh, go to that twenty. What is it? Twenty four? Twenty five?
1: Twenty five, I believe.
0: Twenty five. Yeah, I think the streaks at twenty four. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: we'll see. So uh, hey, this was uh, this was fun.
1: Then I had a great time. And, you know, you, you talk about all these podcast tropes that you've picked up over the years. And one of the things that I've noticed is there's a couple shout outs, some things that I wanted to point out. I was leaving the podcast. One, there is an underrated rivalry happening this weekend. and If you get some downtime to check out the NC State ECU game, NC State's on a quest for a bowl game to give them a 10th win, uh, potentially looking at the Gator Bowl, um, the Camping World Bowl, which are all great bowls to be in, good matchups with the Big Ten or the SEC on the line. Um, and they go up against the first quarter, right? For the maybe, maybe this is where yeah. I'm going with this. ECU just fired Scotty Montgomery. Um, so Virginia Tech, if you're looking for an offensive coordinator, that wouldn't be a bad place to start. Um, but ECU got rid of Scotty Montgomery. Um, maybe they'll maybe that'll spark them. Maybe they'll have something to fight for. And ECU historically has given NC State trouble. So historically,
0: um, but they're a disaster right now,
1: they're bad. They're bad. But, you know, if you're exactly. in it for, for a rivalry with some hate, if you didn't get enough hate last week, uh, tune in for that. The second thing I wanted to point out, and this is this is something that I thought was really cool, a player who I've actually noticed in a couple games uh, watching Northwestern and Pat Fitzgerald, uh, Fitzgerald play football. Um,
0: okay, yeah. Chicago team Connection. Up. Yeah,
1: Chicago Connection right up there near you. Um, you know, I just thought it was cool. I pointed out they have a linebacker named Patty Fisher, who, great name, um, is just a beast stopping the run, hammers people, causes a lot of forced fumbles. You're talking about a kid from Katy, Texas, uh, 6'4", 245 pounds. He's incredible. I think he's got a future in the NFL. Um, and if they are going to beat Ohio State, he's going to be uh, a big part in that. He's the leader of that defense. Um, and they've got some playmakers. Uh, if they're going to take down Ohio State, it's going to be because of a good showing on defense. Um, so, you know, keep an eye out for that Northwestern-Ohio Northwestern State game. I think it can be better than people are thinking.
0: Oh, I would love to see Fitzgerald and Company knock off knock off the Buckeyes. I mean, <laughs> B- he uh, he is a super underrated coach. I mean, what he's done at Northwestern it has been uh, David Cutcliffe on steroids, in oh, my opinion.
1: Yes, yes.
0: Um, and I mean, the facilities that they have now it's under just type in Northwestern football facilities. It'll blow your mind. It's right on Lake yeah. Michigan. It's mm. it's unbelievable. But yeah, and I've I've seen uh,
1: those renderings and. That's what amazes me is doing that at Northwestern is just crazy to me. If you look at the consistency at which he's done well, the consistency at which he's gone to bowls since he's been there, really is just, if if you're a Northwestern fan, you are just happy as hell with Pat Fitzgerald at this point. It's incredible.
0: Again, we're Chowder and Grits. Go to chowderandgrits.com. Check out the uh, blog posts, leave comments, tell your friends, uh, follow us on Twitter at Chowder and Grits. You know, ACC spans from New England down to the South. You got Chowder, you got Grits.
1: Amen. So
0: that's that's where we're at. Uh, we're gonna try to jump on this weekend, recap everything, and then um, then we're into bowl season. It's hard to believe, kind of sad, but
1: football season we're at. flies by, Justin.
0: Yeah, it really does. Okay, uh, we're gonna work on our sign off for next time, but <laughs> for now, <laughs> for now, this is it. Yeah, See you man. guys later.